0: This morning we'll be looking at Ephesians 1. Please turn there if you have not already. And we'll be looking at um, verses 11 and 12 in Paul's letter to um, Ephesus, to the Ephesians. And uh, just for sake of context, as I've been doing the past few weeks, I'm going to read from verse 3 down to 14 as this is one long section. And then we'll look at verse 11 and 12. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him in love by predestining us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, To the praise of the glory of his grace, which he graciously bestowed on us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our transgressions, according to the riches of his grace, which he caused to abound to us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in him for an administration of the fullness of the times, That is, the summing up of all things in Christ, things in the heavens and things on the earth in him. In him we also have been made an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, to the end that we who first have hoped in Christ would be to the praise of his glory. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you once again for your word for these words it is for most of us whether for those of us who have grown up in church or have um, have uh, come to church later in life and have uh, experienced your glorious salvation for most of us when we uh, come into the kingdom. We are, as your word says, as babes. And as babes, we don't fully understand what took place. And in a sense, we will not fully understand until um, far in eternity future. And even then, uh, you are incomprehensible and infinite. And so there's there's no way that uh, a human mind and even a glorified human mind could fully grasp your infinite uh wisdom but we learn from your word and we grow by your word and we learn more and more about your work in our lives and particularly we thank you for this passage and other passages like it that, that explain to us what took place in redemption and salvation how you and, and, and uh, Christ and the Holy Spirit and the whole Godhead work together to uh, bring about our salvation, a salvation which was planned in eternity past before the foundation of the world and that we are uh, recipients of this grace. And so, Lord, as we look at these verses this morning, please illuminate our minds open our hearts. Help us to understand. Help us to receive these words with gladness. And Lord, as I preach your word, I I pray especially for grace to convey it properly, accurately, clearly, and that my words would be your words and your words would go forth in power and precision to impact the hearts and minds of your people for your glory. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. I don't remember how old I was when I first heard this term, this concept of an inheritance. And uh, probably like most of you, um, I didn't grow up in a rich family. Um, We are in a sense, a blue-collar, lower middle class. And so this concept of an inheritance was somewhat foreign to me. (laughs) The, the, The concept that Um, someone uh, upon the the death of a family member, uh, usually a parent, but sometimes it could be a grandparent or uh, aunt or uncle, that if they had uh, quite a bit of money or or just enough to pass on, that you would receive that as the family member. And just uh, when I first heard of that, and just uh, as young as I was, I could look around and, and think, well... I don't think I'll get that much if I get anything at all. <laughs> that's that's for other types of people. Um, this concept of an inheritance. <laughs> I just hope I don't get any debt or anything to to clean up afterwards. <laughs> any any junk to clear out. Just you know, um, uh, I might have to pay for the funeral. But <laughs> you know, um, but this concept of an inheritance that. Was given to you is something that that you you did not earn, you did not work for. Um, it was just by virtue of you being in the family. And, and sometimes uh, you hear these stories about uh, uh, you know a distant aunt or uncle, and uh, they, they they find you out or, or someone that's very distant and they don't have any. Um, any successors, any children or grandchildren, and you're the only one that receives the riches. And, and, and sometimes you hear about these stories, and, and oftentimes we, we remember those email scams of, you know, someone that, oh, there's an inheritance, just send me your bank account numbers and everything. But there, our history is full of true examples of people who, unbeknownst to them, they had a rich aunt or a rich uncle or uh, someone that they were removed from. Sometimes it was you know, an orphan, and, and unbeknownst to them, they're, they're contacted, and then all of a sudden, their, their whole life is changed, and they're, they're in a sense, uh, catapulted out of poverty or just a normal existence to, to being rich. This concept of inheritance, and, and it's not just the riches, but oftentimes, and, and the Bible speaks more to this, especially in the Old Testament, of um, land, of property that would be deeded to you, and, and, and sometimes that, that is, that's probably the more common one, that, that um, well, my uncle or my grandfather or son, they, they had a farm, or they had this property. And they might not have had much money, but they had this property. And in a sense, sometimes that property, that land, means more to you than the money. Because that was tied to the family, and that's where the family lived and moved and had their being, where they they raised their children, and it's a sentimental value. And we read about that throughout the Old Testament. In fact, as we look at this verse about inheritance, we need to understand the concept of, Throughout the whole Old Testament, because that's what Paul is is linking to. He, he he's getting back to concerning this inheritance which believers have in Christ. And, and if you will, and please turn with me to uh, Genesis and, and and beginning in chapter twelve. And this is really where the foundation of this inheritance. It, it goes all the way back to Abraham. Abraham is, in a sense, he is the forefather of the Jews and of Israel, but for even Gentile believers, as I dare say probably all of us who are believers are Gentile believers, we were grafted in to Israel, and we are partakers of this inheritance, which began all the way back to Abraham. And it started with this call of Abraham. Before he was named Abraham, he was Abram. And we read this in the beginning of Genesis 12, this shift in the narrative. And it's a huge shift, and it's a significant shift, and it's a foundational shift in which we are introduced to this character named Abram. And we read in Genesis 12, And Yahweh said to Abram, Go forth from your land and from your kin and from your father's house. To the land where, which I will show you. And I will make you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great. And so you shall be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you. And the one who curses you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. This is the, the, the beginning of what would be known as the Abrahamic covenant. Uh, the, the, the call of Abram. And, and uh, notice that that. Abram wasn't following God before this point. God reached out to him. He called him. He called him out of Ur of the Chaldees, out of, in a sense, a a, a pagan uh, city, a pagan culture, and called him to follow him. And, And because of that call, Abram followed and then uh, later on, um, as Moses is, is writes Genesis uh, by the, the power of the Holy Spirit, uh, uh, we read more about this call and this covenant, Genesis 15. Turn there and, and we read in the beginning of Genesis 15, uh, where uh, uh, Abram had been uh, promised uh, to be a great nation and, and to... Uh, to have families and successors. And the implication in that is that he would have a child, and he was childless at the time. And we read this. After these things, the word of Yahweh came to Abram in a vision, saying, Do not fear, Abram. I am a shield to you. Your reward shall be very great. And Abram said, O Lord Yahweh, what will you give me as I go on being childless? And the heir of my house is Eleazar of Damascus. And Abram said, Since you have given no seed to me, behold, one born in my house is my heir. Then behold, the word of Yahweh came to him, saying, This one will not be your heir, but one who will come forth from your own body. He shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Now look toward the heavens, and number the stars if you are able to number them. And he said to them, so shall your seed be. Then he believed in Yahweh and and he counted it to him as righteousness. And he said to him, I am Yahweh who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess it. And then we learn later uh, or um, how, in a sense, uh, Abram wavered in his faith and and we have this narrative of um, his... uh, uh, Sarah's maid servant Hagar and Ishmael, because he wavered in his faith. But then in Genesis 17, we see uh, uh, Moses and and, and this uh, write this narrative uh, a, a, a further um, uh, picture of this uh, covenant as Abram's name is changed. Genesis 17, now it happened that when Abram was 99 years old, Yahweh appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty, walk before me and be blameless, so that I may confirm my covenant between me and you, and that I may multiply you exceedingly. Then Abram fell on his face, and God spoke with him, saying, As for me, behold, my covenant is with you, and you will be the father of a multitude of nations. And no longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be... Abraham, for I've made you the father of a multitude of nations. And I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make nations of you, and kings will go forth from you, and I will establish my covenant between me and you and your seed after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your seed after you. And I will give to you and to your seed after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession And I will be their God. Here we have this this covenant explained. This Abrahamic covenant which is the foundation in a sense of our faith. The foundation of the the nation and the people of Israel. Whom we are in a sense grafted into as the people of God. And with this covenant there's these promises of two promises of a land and a people a land and a people, as an inheritance in a sense. And this is why, why, you know just as a side note, without going off on a rabbit trail, but uh, this is why Israel is so adamant about their land and why the enemies of God are so adamant to destroy them and kick them out that there's spiritual warfare happening there. But that's their land because it's been deeded to them by God. But more than that, that's we read that that's for an everlasting possession, and that will continue on into the millennial kingdom when Jesus returns to rule and reign on the earth for a thousand years, and we will be with them. And in a sense, that will be part of our possession as well. Those who are grafted in—that's our inheritance. This is where we get this concept and which is throughout the whole Old Testament when the, Israel, the Israelites have this, this connection with the land and their inheritance and then even their inheritance amongst the tribes that would go on to generation to generation about the land, their inheritance, their inheritance. And with the land as the, an agrarian culture and anybody who has farmed or known farmers, there is, with the land comes your prosperity your well-being, your livelihood. And you want to pass that on. That's the inheritance. It's even more important than riches to have that land where you grew up. And then, you know, your father may have grown up and you want to pass that on to your children and grandchildren. There's a connection with that land. But it's also the people And there's two sides of this inheritance, which we'll see. But as the people go out and are, as God draws them out and rescues them, redeems them from Egypt, and that's where he, in a sense, constitutes them as a real nation, as we read um, in Genesis that uh, they went down, in that narrative with Jacob and Joseph, they went down 70 persons, and then... 400 years later, they multiply, and they actually become a nation. And as they go out, as we read in Exodus and then in Deuteronomy, and particularly Deuteronomy 4, we get this, in a sense, what is Israel's charter. And there's this verse that's stuck there in Deuteronomy 4, in verse 20, which we get a clearer picture about this concept of inheritance. As Moses writes, but Yahweh has taken you out, you and brought you out of the iron furnace from Egypt to be a people for His own inheritance, as today. And so, as we look at these two verses, I wanted to to get that context, and and so that you understand the importance of inheritance. Uh, throughout the Bible, throughout the Old Testament, from the the Jewish perspective, the Israelite perspective, but also from God's perspective, that there's two sides of this inheritance, from the the people's side, what they receive, but also God's side, that the people themselves are God's inheritance. And as we look at this theme in these two verses, as, as Paul um, unfolds in, in this whole uh this whole passage from verse three to fourteen is is Paul's, as I've said in in uh, the weeks past. This is Paul's anthem of praise that he's just overflowing in praise to God uh, about this great salvation, this great redemption in Christ, and and, and how it came about and then all the blessings, the spiritual blessings that flow from it. And he lists these spiritual blessings and then he comes to verse 11 and he talks about this spiritual blessing of inheritance and how it came about. And in these two verses, we will see three aspects of this inheritance in Christ. First, the preparation of the inheritance or the making of the inheritance, then the planning of the inheritance, and then the purpose of the inheritance. But first the preparation of the inheritance as we read in verse 11. In him we also have been made an inheritance having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. If you are in Christ you have been made an inheritance. And, and there's a there's, uh, Some differences in your English translations. I I, I just want to to list this and and, and to draw this out. If you have a King James, it says, "...in whom also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestinated according to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will." New King James likewise says, "...in him also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will." The New American Standard Update in 1995 says this, Also we have obtained an inheritance having been predestined according to his purpose who works all things after the counsel of his will. The English Revised Version, I think, is a little bit more accurate. In whom also we were made a heritage having been foreordained according to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his will. The English Standard Version says, In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. Uh, There's this one version called the Net, Net Bible, which is a pretty good version. It says, In Christ we too have been claimed as God's own possession, since we were predestined according to the one purpose of him who accomplishes all things according to the counsel of his will. The New International Revised Version says, We were also chosen to belong to him. God decided to choose us long ago in keeping with his plan. He works out everything to fit his plan and purpose. I think that's pretty good, not uh, not as literal. And then the NIV, In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. And then in the legacy standard version, which I I preach from, says in him we also have been made an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him, who works all things according to the counsel of his will. And and there's a reason why I went through all those English uh, translations and, and just to highlight the differences because there is somewhat of a nuance with this verb from which we get have been made an inheritance. Now it is, in a sense, a a, a, a past a passive, a, or heiress passive verb. That um, this was, in a sense, a, a, an action which has been um, acted. We've been acted upon, and it was uh, it was. Um, Done. It's a done deal. It's done in the past. And, and so as some of your translations, we, we would see this, we would read it as our inheritance. And that's true. But the main thrust of the verb is that we have been made an inheritance for God. And so there's two sides of this. As Paul is, is unfolding this spiritual blessing of inheritance... He, he points out two sides of the preparation of the inheritance or the making of the inheritance. First and foremost, of Christ's inheritance. That we have been made an inheritance for Christ. We are Christ's inheritance, but also of our inheritance. But first, I, I'd like to unfold just a bit of Christ's inheritance. That Christ, in coming to save a people for himself, to come into this world to save sinners, save sinners as we would read that He had, God has chosen before the foundation of the world and would set, send his son to... Um, to live a life that none of us could live and die the death that we all deserve to die and by his wounds we are healed and redeemed and through that we are also adopted into the family of God as sons. We are in a sense, we are Christ's inheritance that, that, that God sent him to redeem a people for him, his own self. As we read in Titus 2.14 that uh, Paul writing to Titus says, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from all lawlessness and purify for himself a people for his own possession, zealous for good works. That, that believers, the church, is in a sense Christ's inheritance as God's Son uh, given to him from the Father, a gift of from the Father to the Son, a people for himself, for his own possession, and a kingdom to serve him as he will rule and reign as the perfect king uh, in the millennial kingdom and then throughout all eternity. You read at the end of uh, Deuteronomy, that uh, Deuteronomy 32.9, as Moses is conveying to the people that, we are, uh, he says, for Yahweh's portion, God's portion is his people. Jacob is the allotment of his inheritance. God's people in the Old Testament, Israel, was in, in a sense his inheritance. He inherited them. And we, more specifically, we are Christ's inheritance, a gift from the Father to the Son, uh, uh, set apart in eternity past, predestined, uh, foreordained chosen and called and retained. But Christ's inheritance, it isn't just a people, it's also a kingdom. As we read in Psalm 2, in verse 6 to 8, But as for me, I have installed my king upon Zion, my holy mountain. I will surely tell the decree of Yahweh. He said to me, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will surely give the nations as your inheritance and the ends of the earth as your possession that when Christ returns he will establish his in a sense his earthly kingdom and he will reign over all the nations but this inheritance goes even further than a people and a kingdom it goes to a new creation that that as I've mentioned in the past that that Christ is a perfect Redeemer, a full Redeemer, that redemption, salvation, it's not just about us personally. He is redeeming individuals, but He's also redeeming a people and a kingdom, but then it will go further and extend further to the whole creation. He will redeem a new creation, which is part of His inheritance, Hebrews 1. We read this, is this lofty language that the, the writer to the Hebrews, he unfolds and, and throughout that whole great letter. And in the beginning of the letter, he says this, God, having spoken long ago to the fathers and the prophets in many portions and in many ways in these last days, spoke to us in his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the world's. That we are Christ's inheritance, a people. And, and he will also inherit a kingdom, which we will be a part of. And then he will inherit a new creation, a redeemed creation. But this verse in Ephesians 1.11, it also it speaks of not only of Christ's inheritance, that we have been made his inheritance, but also we have an inheritance in him. We have an inheritance in him. And if you just drop down um, uh, to verse 16 of Ephesians 1, Paul ends this kind of this anthem of praise with a, a, a prayer. as he says, he, he does not cease giving thanks for you while making mention of you in my prayers that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the full knowledge of Him, so that you, The eyes of your heart, having been enlightened, will know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. That Christ, redeeming us as a people for for himself, and and we will be... uh, uh, part of his inheritance as a kingdom and a new creation that we being united with him and union with him uh, being in a sense adopted into his family that we also receive this inheritance as, as in a sense uh, uh, benefactors as recipients this riches of the glory the, the surpassing riches surpassing anything this Earth can offer, any earthly inheritance that you know, we read about in those stories of some great inheritance, our, our inheritance is so much greater. That, that we have been called out of darkness into light. We've been transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of His blessed son. We've been adopted. Into his family, that that once we were not the children of God, but now we are the children of God. As we will later on learn in Ephesians chapter 2, that all of us come into this world as children of the devil, as sons of disobedience, uh, 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 children of wrath. And that's why we need to be born again. And as we are born again, we are adopted into the family of God. As Paul paints this picture and he unfolds this glorious doctrine of adoption in Galatians 4. He says this, Galatians 4, 4. But when the fullness of the time came, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, so that he might redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God sent forth the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba. Father, therefore you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. We're an heir through God because we, in a sense, being united with Christ, united with God, we, in a sense, share in his inheritance. And we receive this inheritance as well. This inheritance of not only uh, A family being adopted but every spiritual blessing in Christ that we see in verse 3 that that we've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ that's our inheritance and then a kingdom a kingdom which we will see Luke records this um this phrase of of Jesus in uh In uh, Luke chapter 12, and and this is part of the Sermon on the Mount, uh, the parallel passage would be Matthew 6, where uh, in Matthew 6 we get that that famous um, verse that that most of us should memorize, and and I had it down word for word at one point, but do not be anxious for anything, or, sorry, that's Philippians 4, but uh, uh, do not worry, uh, sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Well, in Luke twelve, uh, Luke records further of uh, Jesus saying uh, along that lines. He says, "Do not fear, little flock, for your Father is well pleased to give you the kingdom." He adds that that, that don't worry about what's going on in, in the circumstances of this life. You have a kingdom coming to you, part of your inheritance, uh, riches untold. And we we read this in in one of uh, uh, Jesus' parables, Matthew 25, in verse 31. And he's speaking uh, to uh, his disciples, to the people. And he says this in his coming. Uh, He says, but when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne and all the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate them from one another, as the shepherd separates the sheep from the goats, and he will put the sheep on his right and the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom, which has been prepared for you from the foundation of the world. This is part of our inheritance, uh, uh, the kingdom itself. And then a new creation is, you know, most of us are probably more familiar with this, this verse. And some people, even unbelievers know this verse. They might mock on it. It's not, it's just a short phrase. It's from Jesus' uh, uh, Sermon on the Mount, from his Beatitudes. uh, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. They will inherit the earth. That's part of our inheritance in Christ as He comes to establish His kingdom and to make all things new. uh, We will also, with Him, inherit that kingdom, that earth, that new creation in which we will dwell with Him as He rules and reigns in righteousness. And and this is closely linked to our adoption. It's almost one and the same, our inheritance and our adoption and uh, I may be mispronouncing his name, this Scottish uh, theologian, Ian Duguid. Or Duguid, I, I can't even pronounce his last name. But um, our, he, say, he writes this, Our adoption as sons of God comes through union with Christ and cannot be experienced apart from it. In Christ and in Him alone, we receive the adoption that gives us an undeserved share of, In the promises that were made to him and the privileges that he has earned as God's son. So as, as Paul speaks about this spiritual blessing of inheritance, he is, in a sense, primarily speaking about Christ's inheritance as us, as a people, as a kingdom, but also as the new creation. But because we were one with Christ and we were adopted into his family, he's also speaking of our inheritance in Christ that we have been, uh, we have been adopted into his family. And because that, we will inherit the kingdom, we will inherit the earth. And so as Paul unfolds the spiritual blessing of inheritance, he talks about the making of it or the preparation of it, which was predestined. According to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. It was done, it was planned in eternity past, which is our second point. The planning of the inheritance. And as we look at the planning of the inheritance, done, uh, we, we see three things concerning this planning. First, it was planned in eternity past. In eternity past, it it was predestined before the foundation of the world. God had a plan. God, God, um, he does not learn. Nothing takes him by surprise. He knows the beginning from the end. He has planned it all out. He is omniscient. He he knows if there's a piece of information, he knows it down to the the atomic molecular level, down to every second. As uh, R.C. Sproul says, there's not a maverick molecule in the whole universe because God is omniscient, He's omnipotent, and He's omnipresent. Things which kind of just blow our mind because God is also incomprehensible. We cannot fully grasp God, but we know about God from his word and and whatever he tells us, we must submit to it and believe it. Even if we don't fully understand his word, we, we continue to wrestle with it and learn. And we learn that he is omnipotent, he's omniscient, he's omnipresent, and he has planned all things according to the counsel of his will. And even as we read about that, the, the, the counsel of his will, it, it's, not, it's not as if uh, uh, the God had got together and, and, and at a point in time and, and in a sense say, "How do we do this?" This was in eternity past. and it is a council, but it, it, it just it's hard for us to grasp because God does not change. He's immutable. He does not change. He does not learn. He does not grow. He just is. He is. And that's the, the, the best definition of God is his own definition, which he gave to Moses. I am who I am. I just am. You, you, can't, you can't contain me. You can't define me. You have to learn from me. I am who I am. He just is. Simple and yet profound immutable, unchangeable, eternal, incomprehensible. And he has predestined this inheritance in eternity past. It was planned in eternity past. Second, it was planned in accord with providence, in accord with his providence. And and this, this doctrine of providence, you really need to understand it and grasp it for your Christian life, and, and even if you don't fully understand it and fully grasp it, you do experience it. And, and you experience it not so much in in uh, the present, you know, though it is working in the present. You don't see it. We often we see it looking backwards. Why did I end up here? Why 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 do I live in this? country or this city or this state? Why do I have the job I have or the family I have? Uh, Why did these events happen, the the trials, the blessings, the challenges, the disasters? And and we see God working in and through all of it. Why am I here in this church? It's according to God's perfect plan, according to his providence, as uh, MacArthur and Mayhew and their uh, uh, biblical doctrine they define providence as this. Divine providence is God's preserving his creation, operating in every event in the world, and directing the things in the universe to his appointed end for them. I I'll Read that again. Divine providence is God's preserving his creation, operating in every event in the world, and directing the things in the universe to his appointed end for them. God is not as uh, the, the deists use, which uh, deists are kind of rare these days, but um, the deists would believe that, that God created everything, but then he left it to go on its own. And it just, the, the world and mankind, and so uh, everything just works on its own. It, it's almost like he created the clock, he wound it up, and then he let it go. But no, God works in every instance. Every event, every uh, creature. He's, he, he works all things uh, for good. According to his counsel. as we know this verse, Romans 8:28, this is a verse of comfort for us in the midst of trial, in the midst of challenge, in the midst of disaster. We find our hope and our comfort and our rest in, in a verse like this, Romans 8:28. And we know that for those who love God, All things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. Because those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his Son, so that he would be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. We see this golden chain of redemption in all the different aspects of salvation and redemption unfolds in history, in time, and in our own lives. And before that, we get this verse that God works all things together for good. Why? So that we would be conformed to the image of His Son according to His purposes. And part of His purposes. is Is in conforming us to the image of His Son that we would experience trials, we would experience challenges and opposition and frustration and and things which we don't want to experience. But uh, as the psalmist says, "If it wasn't, uh, I would not have known Your law if I was not afflicted." As part of the affliction, that we we cling to God, we turn to God, And, and almost every salvation testimony has a trial within it. There's a lot of testimonies that I hit rock bottom, this happened, X, Y, and Z, it was just horrible, and then I turned to God, and that was part of God's providence in drawing you and calling you and, and saying, in a sense, uh, uh, causing the alarm to go off and saying, wake up, quit you know, running the wrong way, repent, and believe upon me. And he continues to do that in sanctification to conform us into the image of his Son. And this providence, it's according to the counsel of his will. He works all things according to the counsel of his will. This is providence. And our inheritance is part of his providence. Uh, Christ's inheritance is part of his providence. Providence. And so we see in the planning of the inheritance, it was planned in eternity past. Second, it was planned in accord with providence. And third, it was planned in accord with the divine counsel. And here we get a uh, uh, kind of an entrance, a view into the, the, the doctrine and the concept of the Trinity. That, that, that God is One. There is only one God. There, there, there's one God and there's no other, but that one God exists in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And, and Scripture attests to both. There is one God in three persons, and so uh, though we don't see the word Trinity in the Bible, we get that doctrine and that concept and that understanding of who God is through the fact that He is one and He exists in three persons. And three co-equal, co-eternal persons. Indivisible. Isaiah, writing about this council, he says this, Isaiah 46, he says that God, uh, in a sense, God speaking through Isaiah says, he declares the end from the beginning. And from ancient times, things which have not been done, saying, my counsel." will be established, and I will accomplish all my good pleasure. This is the inner workings of the Trinity that are then working out in creation, according to the divine counsel. And we see that, even in this passage, in verse 3 to 14, we see every person of the Trinity working in salvation. We see, as Paul says, Blessed be God and Father of the Lord Jesus Christ, And then we we see it it is primarily focused on Christ, but then we also see the Holy Spirit and the Spirit working and and He being, in a sense, sealing us and being a a pledge, what we'll see next week, a, a down payment of our inheritance. We see this also in Romans 8. In the beginning of Romans 8, in verse 14, we read this. For as many as are being led... By the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. For you have not received a spirit of slavery, leading to fear again, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, also heirs, heirs of God, and fellow heirs with Christ. That... In salvation, the, the the Father and also the divine Council, the whole trinity uh, predestines, they elect, they uh, 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 choose a people. Christ is sent into the world to uh, live a life that none of us could live, to obey God's law perfectly, upholding it to be that perfect Lamb of God, that spotless holy lamb of God, but also to uh, declare God as in a sense uh, uh, John would say in the beginning of his gospel that no one has seen God at any time, but he has in a sense explained him or quite literally exegeted the Father that in Christ is in a sense a, 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 an earthly uh, picture or, or a revelation of God. And he redeems, He is our redeemer, our Savior. Um, he is the older brother, the firstborn of creation, not that he was born at any time, but that he that term also uh, pointing to this inheritance as the firstborn, that he inherits creation. And then we see the Spirit working and convicting and drawing and calling. In uh, empowering. This is the Spirit's ministry, the Spirit's work that, that as uh, Jesus even said, uh, I go away, and I, if I, I I go away, I send a helper, a comforter to help you. And that is the Holy Spirit that comes to uh, cause us to be born again, to regenerate us, and then to indwell us, as we would read that the dwelling place in, in a sense that God is with man. He's within us at Pentecost. He comes to indwell his people and empower them and also... Uh, convict the world of sin and righteousness and convict us and and equip us and help us and illuminate our minds to understand scripture. The divine counsel, the the Trinity is at work in salvation and uh, in a sense in the planning of this inheritance. And so as we Go through these verses, and we see how we have been made an inheritance for Christ, and and we have an inheritance as well. We see the preparation of the inheritance, and then we see the planning of the inheritance that it was planned in eternity to pass in accord with providence, and then in accord with divine counsel. And then Paul uh, goes on to explain the purpose. Of this inheritance. The purpose for why we have an inheritance. Why we've been made an inheritance for Christ. And the purpose is the same purpose for which he does all things. For his glory. As we read through throughout the New Testament and throughout many parts of, of the Old Testament. That God does all things for his glory. For him. And, and for some people... Um, we think of uh, uh, the Oprah Winfrey, who grew up in church. Uh, in a sense, a uh, uh, high priestess of every uh, you know, new age uh, uh, ideology and stuff. But her, st- her big stumbling block growing up in church was that God is a jealous God. She's like, how how can he be jealous? And Jealousy is a sin, and that's pride. And it's like, no. Uh, For us, that's a sin. But God, it's right for him to be jealous for his own name and for his own sake because there's no one better than him. There's no one higher than him. There's no one more glorious than him. So he is, in a sense, all about himself. For us to be all about ourselves, that's sinful. But it's not sinful for God to be all about Himself because who is better than Himself? No one. So He is all about His glory. That's why He does everything He does because no one's greater than Him. And in a sense, even in creation, He he did not create us or anything because there was a need or because there was something lacking in Him. He created creation just... To create it, as in a sense, uh, many would say, the overflow flow of His glory. But there's God has no need; He's He's self sufficient, or He's self sufficient in and within Himself. And so we see the preparation of the inheritance, the planning of the inheritance, and then the purpose of the inheritance to display. And there is, in a sense, a, a twofold purpose here. But it's all for his glory. But first to display God's faithfulness. To display God's faithfulness. As we read in verse 12. To the end that we who first have hoped in Christ. Would be to the praise of his glory. We who have first hoped in Christ. And this as many would say. is somewhat alluding to the Jewish background believers. That uh, that that. uh, Christ, he came to his own people, though many of his own people did not receive him. But as many who did receive him, he gave the right to become children of God. And so we we know throughout the Gospels, throughout Acts, almost everybody the the in in the the first disciples, the first believers were were Jews. We who have first hoped in Christ would be to the praise of. His glory. And so this kind of links to God's faithfulness. His faithfulness to his people, his faithfulness to his promises, his faithfulness to his covenants. Going all the way back to Abraham. All the way back to Abraham. This is why I read this, because as we read in uh, uh, Paul's uh, letter to the Romans, this, this great treatise on salvation and the The redemptive history and what God is doing in the world. And as Paul unfolds uh, salvation in the the sinfulness and the total depravity of mankind in chapter 1. And and that that it's not just uh, uh, Gentiles that are uh, in a sense sinful. But it's also the Jews who think they're righteous. And then he talks about Abraham. And he says this in Abraham in Romans chapter 4, that for the promise to Abraham, 4.13, or to his seed, that he would be heir of the world was not through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. Going all the way back to Genesis 15, where I read in the beginning that, that Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. This is where we get justification by faith. All the way back to Abraham. And you're saved by, by uh, grace through faith and not of works, lest any man should boast. And it's faith, believing in the righteousness, this alien righteousness from God. Believing in Him. And this goes back to His promise. This displays God's faithfulness to His people, to His promises, to uh create a people, to redeem a people, to redeem a a nation, a kingdom, a creation, and this inheritance that Abraham would be heir of the world, going all the way back, because he believed God and he counted it to him as righteousness. The purpose of the inheritance is to display God's faithfulness, but ultimately to display God's glory. To display his glory in his faithfulness and in everything he does. That he is glorified, as, as uh, my uh, theology professor would, would say and, and many other theologians, that all mysteries meet at the cross. That that God's attributes are put on display at the cross to you know, all his attributes at once. So we see his attributes throughout Scripture and throughout redemptive history, but they're all there at the cross in salvation. His wrath, his power, his providence, his omniscience, his omnipotence, his omnipresence, his love, his mercy, his grace, his forgiveness, all his attributes put on display in the cross of Christ, uh, displaying his glory, and, and he does that in redemption. He glorifies himself. This is why we've been made an inheritance, why there's this spiritual blessing of inheritance to the end that we who first have hoped in Christ would be to the praise of His glory, that we would praise His glory, that we would glorify Him, but then not just that, but in and of ourselves, the fact that we are a redeemed creation, a redeemed sinners, in and of ourselves, we are a glorify God, whether we actively do it or not. We glorify God in his redemption. He displays his glory in his people. I'd like you to turn with me to Hebrews chapter 11. And as we read of this roll call of faith, as um, the writer to the Hebrews, he, he explains, and he's writing to, to these these uh, New Testament Jewish background believers, Hebrews, Um he's writing to them to encourage them in their faith to to remain steadfast, not to turn back to uh, Old Testament Judaism or to the Old Testament sacrificial system, but to hold fast to their faith in Christ. And he lists in Hebrews chapter 11, this roll call of faith, all these Old Testament saints who were looking forward to the promises. And he says in verse 11 of Hebrews, uh, or verse 7 of Hebrews 11, by faith, Noah being warned about things not yet seen in, per, in reverence, prepared an ark for the salvation of his household, by which he condemned the world, and listen to this, and became an heir of the righteousness, which is, a, in, which is according to faith. Then by faith, Abraham, when he was called, obeyed by going out to a place which he was to receive for an inheritance. And he went out, not knowing where he was going, By faith he sojourned in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, fellow heirs of the same promise. For he was looking for the city which has foundations, whose architect and builder is God, also a part of our inheritance. This city which has foundations, this new Jerusalem, uh, uh, Zion. Which we are looking to that—that that is our inheritance in Christ. That, that is, and we are Christ's inheritance as a people, heirs of righteousness. That righteousness, which is according to faith, we live in light of this inheritance, this great inheritance, greater than the whole world could offer. These spiritual blessings in the heavenly places. All for God's glory, to display His glory in His people and through His people to the creation. This is why we are redeemed, why we are saved, for God's glory, to glorify Him. And we are called to glorify Him in our lives, to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which we have been called. He does all things for His glory. And conversely, not only are we to glorify God, but... Those who are outside of the kingdom, those who have not repented, have not believed, have resisted God's call to salvation, they will be punished partly because they do not glorify God. They, they, they do not operate and function and live according to the design for which God has created them. As we read in Romans chapter 1, as Paul paints this picture of of the sinfulness of mankind, the the guiltiness of mankind, and he says this, Romans 1.18, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. they, They suppress the truth about God, about creation, about the world, about salvation, about reality, They suppress that truth. They push it down in unrighteousness because they want to live unrighteously sinful lives. And he goes on, because that which is known about God is evident within them. For God made it evident to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, both his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made so that they are without excuse. For even though they knew God, Get this, they did not glorify him as God or give thanks. But they became futile in their thoughts and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory... Of the incorruptible God for an image in the likeness of corruptible man and of birds and four-footed animals and crawling creatures. What it's saying is, instead of seeing God's glory and worshiping him as glorious as he is, they made idols and worshipped idols and, and, and saw idols as glorious. And because of that, God gave them over in the lusts of their hearts to impurity so that their bodies would be dishonored among them. For they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. We're condemned um, because we sin. Wages of sin is death. And the day you eat of it, you will die. I'm speaking to Adam, because in his temptation, in his sin, as the head of the world, he did not believe God. And he did not glorify God as being glorious and, and his, his word being worthy of, uh, of taking heed to, of listening to. He did not glorify him as God and say no to the serpent. And we come into this world not wanting to glorify God, but to glorify ourselves. Our, our lives are all about ourselves. E- even as redeemed believers, uh, who, who do we think about most? We think about ourselves. And if it's, it's not ourselves uh, particularly, it, it's in uh, relation to ourselves. Uh, our relationships are really, you know, a lot of times self-centered. It is, it, they're not all pure It's about what this other person can do for me or they make me feel good. Our schedules, our our time, uh, you know, oftentimes I, I go throughout my day and even, what would I want to do? We want to glorify ourselves. We're all about ourselves rather than being all about God. That's why the greatest commandment, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And if there's... Any person who thinks they're good, you either tell them that commandment or the second, love your neighbor as yourself. And we all have broken those commandments. And so we're all deserving of God's judgment. But God is not only uh, holy and righteous, He's also merciful, gracious slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. And He does not desire that any perish, but that all would come to repentance and faith, that would uh, listen to the Spirit's call, that would repent and believe upon Him while there is time, that would seek Him while He may be found, to call upon Him while He is near. And so if you're not in Christ this morning, and even if you're unsure about your standing, uh, the, the uh, thing to do is to recognize your sinfulness, recognize the fact that you don't put God first, that you have sinned in so many ways, and that you are called to repent from your sin, to turn, to believe in this gospel that, that God has given a Savior for all mankind, that there is, there is one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus Jesus, There's salvation in no one else but in Him. We are to call upon Him. We are to believe in Him. And for those of us that are in Him, it's by His grace, from beginning to end, salvation is of the Lord. Heavenly Father, we thank You for this great inheritance planned for us, prepared for us in eternity past, purchased by Christ, And that those who are in Christ, in him, will experience this great inheritance. Lord, help those of us who are in Christ to live in light of this inheritance, of our great spiritual blessings. And for those outside of Christ, Lord, I pray that you would prick their hearts. Work in their hearts and minds and draw them to yourself and save them for your glory. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.